Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay, I, I don't know about you, but I was... Um, when we were praying for uh, the, the, the children of the church, I'm like uh, really praying at that point. Um, and what part of my prayer is just... Sorry, I made, I made Donovan laugh. It wasn't meant like that. Don't get so defensive. <laughs> so, uh, but part of my prayer was a just as I just thought back to, uh, I suppose, my childhood in church, my upbringing. I just thought back to my mum, and um, uh, who got the four kids ready every Sunday, and you know she bathed us every Sunday. She put us in our Sunday best clothes, um, and she took us to church. And I'm realising, and she did all of that on her own every single week. We rarely missed a Sunday, rarely ever missed a Sunday. And I, I loved football. And it, on a Sunday afternoon, they had football on TV, but I rarely could watch it because I went to church in the afternoon as well. Three times a day I went to church on a Sunday in those days. Things have changed, yeah? Things have changed. Now we go whenever we feel we've got time. Um, I went three times a day uh, every Sunday. And I know for my mum, that was a massively important thing. And I remember going to church. I remember going to Sunday school, having not a clue what it took to do that do you? you you just go there you complain about your Sunday school teacher you complain about your youth worker and I was like that I was the classic clown mess about kid in church yeah I was not the yeah and I say that because Phil's there he knows and I, I, I remember his dad doing stuff and I was classically that but am I so grateful those people am I so grateful for that that period of my life where am I so grateful for my mum and what she did uh, every week took us to church every week for her it was you know my dad didn't really go he didn't come with us but every week my mum got the forkings ready and you know only when I talk back to her and to the people who are around the church in those days do I realize I mean I mean you weren't great then you know that <laughs> okay yeah. um, so I'm just grateful. So when we were praying, I'm praying because, because for our kids, this is their time and this is their experience. And I want to ensure that the thing they walk out of church with is this just deep understanding of the stories of God. They might not understand them all, but they'll know them. And if they know them, when you get older, do you know what? When faith comes to you, those stories come alive. Yeah? So I, I had a certain amount of knowledge when I was a kid and as I got older that knowledge just came alive and and suddenly when you help out I remember I had friends and I mean I remember Phil was one of them who came and helped an alpha and the first time they helped an alpha they were a little bit worried oh, I'm ready to answer the questions we won't know what people are saying and then they realized when people asked questions they realized oh I've got a library in my head <laughs> of knowledge and understanding of how God works of these stories oh that story oh yeah, no I can tell you a bit about that they just had understanding and it just came from being told stories. Yeah? So I'm a big believer in telling kids stories. Not, not even worrying too much about the x Tell them the stories. Let them get that knowledge into them. 
wow, I know what the Bible is about. And let them grow up. Sorry, I'm not even speaking about parenting, but let, let them grow up in an environment where they see going to church is the normal thing to do on a Sunday. This is what we do. Yeah? So I raise my kids like that. This is what we do. Never made them come. They, they could have always said no. And I remember Daisy on one, one occasion saying, I know I don't have to go to church, but everything kind of gets me there, forces me there. And it's not a law in the house, but she felt like, I can't even say no. And it was this kind of thing, that this, this tide that brought her along. That's what we do on a Sunday, isn't it? So anyway, it's just we were praying for kids, and obviously I've raised kids, and um, yeah. And you know, I told you that story about, about Rihanna and her friends, and, and her friends, anyway. So that very same day, that was two weeks ago, I think it was, that very same day, um, Rihanna texted me, actually during the meeting, because that's what she does, uh, she texted me to say, oh, I've got my friends at church. Yeah? And then she texted me after she said, uh, she said, oh, Dad, you know what, they liked it. Yeah? This weekend, um, Rihanna is away um, uh, with her uni uh, uh, playing badminton at some university tournament. Yeah? Her friends are going to church. Her friends are going to church. <laughs> and she's like, uh, Dad, they're trying to find houses. She said, Dad, I've got so many people who want to live with me. Yeah? Now, it's hard as parents to go, really? <laughs> really? All these people want... <laughs> Do they know you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, delete that bit. No, no, she'll, she'll get that bit. But it was... Uh, uh, but it's funny, she said, they've got so many people who want to live with me. Um, and so, there, anyway. So there's something about, you know, you can raise your kids, they can love God, and, and be really, really normal. Yeah? So these kids, these people wanting to go to church with Rihanna, they're not churched. <laughs> they're like, you go to church? What, is, what, is, what does that look like? That's what they're like, they don't go to church. Anyway, putting all that aside, we're returning to Jonah is week three of Jonah and do you remember what Jonah's about as I've described it's about lots of things but overall it's about this it's a story about the kindness of God yeah and that's if there's one message that I want you to walk away out of these weeks it's that 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 God is kinder than you think he is and if you believe that God is kinder than you think he is you will come to him more often You'll, you'll approach him more. You'll, you'll, you'll trust him more if you believe it's true. Oh, yeah, God is kinder than I imagine he is. And we see all that in the story of Jonah. And, and where do I get that from? Uh, you remember Jonah 4, when Jonah looks back after God has uh, uh, saved Nineveh, and we're going to talk about that, he, he, he gets very angry, doesn't he, at the end of the book. And he says, he says to God, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you're slow to anger uh, and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew that. Yeah. Now that, would, we would have thought, would have made him happy, but that actually makes Jonah angry. Um, and that's the reason, in the end, why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, why he was trying to uh, struggle with God. And then I talked last week about Jonah in, in the fish, and the fish makes up a very small percentage of the book, but that's the bit you know about the book. Uh, but Jonah in the fish, he has this, as I've described it, a, a kind of a new perspective on God. He has a moment where he begins to think. Uh, yeah, he knew that about God, but what he also discovered about God is God comes after you when you run from him. 
I'm not sure he would have known that before, that he ran away disobediently. God comes after him because God still hasn't finished with him. And that the, the two sides of the same coin are judgment. God was sending Jonah to Nineveh to judge the city. But the other side of that coin is mercy. <coughs> so if God comes to you in judgment, it also gives the opportunity for mercy. Yeah? That, that opportunity is there. Yeah? In God. That is how he is wired. Yeah? He comes to punish, but if you repent, he will be merciful. That is God. That is how he is. And so Jonah is being sent for that reason uh, to repent. And then last week he's, he's humbled a bit. Um, he, he agrees to do how has God had requested. And then I talked about this idea of, of, of forfeiting grace. And how do you forfeit grace? Well, you, you give up on the grace that is available to you in God when you don't come to God. When you put yourself into something else, that you hope will bring grace and help and mercy, you discover, oh, there's no, there's no mercy in worshipping money. There's no mercy there. Yeah? There's no grace there. It's only in God do you find the level of grace and mercy that you need to be able to live. It's only in God you can find it. You can't find it in anything else. Having said that, we, because we are made in the image of God, have the ability to show mercy. Yeah? Not animals don't have the ability to show mercy, do they? If I'm a lion and I'm attacking a lamb or, or, or an antelope, there's not going to be a point where I go, do you know what, this time I'm going to let you off. I'm not going to kill and eat you. I'm gonna... I don't do that. I operate by instinct. And my instinct is to, is, is to kill and to eat. That's what I do. Humans are not like that. Why? Because we're made in the image of God, which means that we have the ability to show mercy and grace. So Jonah gets humbled and then we come to chapter 3 and Abby is going to come and read to us again. Compassion. 
God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Shall we pray? Father, thank you because your hand is neither too long nor too short to help. From the greatest to the least, they all decided that perhaps, just possibly, you would have mercy. And in the abundance of your mercy, you showed them that you were the loving king. I ask, Lord, that you will soften our hearts this morning. Help your word to rest upon it. And help us to walk in you. Amen. So just making some observations on that uh, passage. The first uh, thing I want to say, because I, I really think this is important, but sometimes we don't, uh, we're not always so good at it. God stuck with Jonah. God stuck with Jonah. God had every opportunity to cast Jonah aside, to teach him a lesson about disobedience and still not use him. Um, but God stuck with him so rather than it sounds very spiritual when it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time it sounds really spiritual and you can say that oh yeah but in reality all it means is God stuck with Jonah God stayed with the man that he had called even though that man had been disobedient and even though we will discover that man still hadn't fully come through to understand all that God would have for him yeah God stuck with him he stayed with him and he brought the word a second time and Jonah had the opportunity to respond, yeah? That's kindness, isn't it? Yeah, so I'm talking about ki the kindness of God. That's kind of God, yeah? Because sometimes when you and I make mistakes, you know, I make a mistake, you know, you might think, oh, I don't want to do that again. I'm not going to stick there again. I'm not going to go there again. Oh, did you see what they did? See what they said? We can be like that can't we? We're not very good at sticking things out. Yeah? As a, as a generation, as a culture in the 21st century, people are not very good at sticking things out. We, rather than stick things out, we just move on to something else. It's very easy to do. It's very easy to move on. It's very easy to... And even in relationships, people don't stick things out. Yeah? I mean, it's always a little bit difficult when you're married, a little bit more different when you're married because you think, alright, that happened and I'm now not happy but I'm married to the person. It's a lot harder, but even in our culture, people don't stick things out. Oh, I heard them say that. That was it. That was over. It was over. God sticks with Jonah. If God can stick with somebody, so can you and me. Yeah, God can do that. Because remember, remember, God is God is perfect. He's holy. Um, uh, he's up there. Uh, we we are like the next person. Yeah. So the person we don't stick with, it, we're like that. Yeah, we do what they do, but maybe in a different context. But God sticks with Jonah. He stays with him. He calls him again. And again, for some of us, we might think, oh, have I been disobedient to the point where I'm questioning, will God ever use me again? Sometimes we can think that. We think, oh, God, I've, I've messed up. And I've messed up 
So I can't believe, I can't imagine you using me again. Or that thing I always felt called to do, God, I don't ever think it's going to be that because of what I've done, because of how I've lived, because of the sins that are in me. I don't ever think, it's going to be something else. So, uh, it's not that you can't use me, but maybe, and I'm, I'm grateful, but it's never going to be that. I wonder whether Jonah, in the belly of the fish, still wondered, will God use me again in the way that he had promised? Or will it be something else? So I encourage you, don't, don't give up. Yeah? If you've grown up in church, I know this, because I did this, you grew up in church with all sorts of thoughts and ideas about what God might do, and you get, you get promises, you get words, and you pray, and all this kind of stuff. And, but there comes a point, there can come a point in life as you, as you get older and you go out to work, and, and I went through all of this kind of thing, you go out to work, you think, well, not quite sure God's going to do all of that. And, and you settle for something different. And what you settle for normally is, you know, a good life and you want to find a good church. That's what you kind of settle for. Uh, but God, not saying you don't want a good church or a good life, but, but God might have so much more for you than that. But often he needs to take you through things to use you in that way. And even, even the thing he has for you to do, as I said two weeks ago, isn't always what you want to do. Yeah? So if I were being really honest, I, I didn't grow up thinking one day I would lead a church in Brixton. I didn't grow up with that thought. Yeah? That, in fact, that thought never occurred to me until probably six months before we came to Brixton. Yeah? It never even occurred. I wasn't strategically planning. I mean, it's Brixton. I was thinking, it's not Brixton. Yeah? I, I grew up knowing Brixton. Yeah? I grew up in South London. I knew Brixton. I understood Brixton. <coughs> I wasn't just looking back. Some of the people might go, oh, no, Brixton. I knew Brixton. I knew people from Brixton. And I was like, yeah, I ain't going there. Yeah? But God... Uh, the, the issue becomes how open am I when God says I want you to do this or I want you to go there I want you to do that and you realise that it doesn't matter where you're going that, that counts it's what, whether you're open to God and what you do so the lesson God sticks with Jonah God will stick with you God will stick with you God will not give up on you you may give up on God, you may give up on what God has for you, which means that you forfeit the grace, you won't experience all the favour, all the blessing, but if you don't do that, if in your heart you remain faithful, if in your heart you still think, no God, I'm still trusting you, I'm still believing you, God will stick with you, because he does that, that's what he's like. The second thing we see in this passage is uh, the most amazing revival preach you'll ever, ever hear. Yeah, it's eight words long. There's nothing in it. He doesn't share the whole gospel. He doesn't know. He doesn't share. What does he share? In some ways, if Jonah had come off the stage uh, and you were going to sort of feed back to him, I'm not very good at that. If you were going to do that, you might go, Jonah, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown? Is that, is that it? Is that really? And Jonah would like, yeah. That's all, that's all he told me. That's all he told me. In the end, it wasn't the words that mattered. Yeah? Jonah was called by God to go and do something to Nineveh. Yeah? 
And provided he did that, it didn't matter. I mean, he didn't need to spend two hours or two weeks preparing. He might have needed to spend two weeks praying. But he didn't need to spend two weeks writing down, what am I going to say? Nineveh, Nineveh's a violent place. We know that. He talks about it in the, in the passage. Do you know what? That would have got me. Nineveh's a violent place. Am I really going to preach to these people about God's going to come? No, what if they then attack me? I would have had all these things going on in my head. Have I got it right here? How do I hide behind it? In the end, Jonah, and Jonah may have had all of that until he went through the experiences he went through. And by the time he comes, he's vomited out of the fish, he doesn't care what Nineveh's like. He's at the point, hands in his pockets. Nineveh's going to be overthrown in 40 days, everyone. I don't care. Yeah, you do what you like. Nineveh, Nineveh's going to be overthrown in 40 days. It's really interesting that, he's, you know, there's no mercy in his message. Yeah, Jonah's not showing mercy. He's not trying to be seeker-friendly. He's just getting it out there. You're going to be overthrown 40 days from now. It's all over for you. And, and it's not even that he's gathered them in a church. He's walking through the city. Just walking through. Imagine just, you're walking through Brixton. People do this, don't they? They walk through Brixton. 40 days and it's all over. It's all over. And the Ninevites, and this is where it must be God because it's not Jonah. Yeah? The Ninevites are, oh my goodness me, what's happening? Yeah? They react to what's been said. That's the Holy Spirit, it must be. Yeah? Okay, he may have said other stuff, but it's not recorded here. All we've got recorded here are these eight words. Yeah? Something happens that the Ninevites hear that message and they believe it. They believe it. So Jonah preaches the most amazing revival message you will ever hear. He's not being seeker-friendly. He's not being a new person. He doesn't care. He's just preaching it out there. 40 days you've got. He doesn't even give them the option, even though he knows it to be true. He knows God is gracious. He knows that because he tells us that later, but he doesn't tell them that. 40 days and it's all over. But the Ninevites believe God. They believe what he said. Yeah, and Jonah knows this to be true. He knows, as I said at the beginning, the other side of the coin of judgment is mercy. He knows that. He knows that. And it's really interesting how they respond, yeah? Because what you see in Nineveh is how repentance really works. There's true repentance in Nineveh. So what does true repentance look like? It looks like this. Oh my goodness, what is going to become of us? It looks like, the first thing it looks like is humility. The king says, everybody, everybody, get those sacks out, get them on and get on your knees. Yeah? True repentance, it doesn't care what people look like, doesn't care, don't care what I look like, I need to repent here, something is going on here. True repentance is humbling. True repentance is humbling. The other thing you find here is true repentance is unconditional. You don't find the king trying to find a way of negotiating with God. Well, yeah, okay, so we just talk about that a bit. 40 days, what do you mean? What's what's they being overthrown? What have we done? 
He doesn't do any of that. He says, oh, maybe if we repent of our evil ways, just maybe, just maybe we will be forgiven. Maybe we'll get on. Maybe this God is compassionate. A God who can pronounce such a judgment must also have this other side. But he's like hoping. He doesn't know that. True repentance is when you're like, oh God, I'm, I'm not even going to make a condition on this. I can't. True repentance is when you come completely, utterly, I'm at your mercy. I'm at your mercy. <coughs> and you know what? When you repent like that, you enter faith in a very different way. If repentance for you has kind of been conditional, oh, well, yeah, you know, I said to God, if you do this, I'll do that. I'm not saying you can't come to faith in God, but it does mean that will affect your relationship with God. Because it will be a bit of, well, yeah, you do. Yeah, you negotiate God, your friends here, you're all loving to me. The Ninevites were absolutely undone. And so they were humbled. They were unconditional. They were hopeful. They didn't know, but they were hopeful. Perhaps if we give up our evil ways and our violence, he will, he will relent from this. They got it. They got it. And as I said, there is this thing about God and it's in his character. Yeah? So you read about God being a God of justice and a God of mercy, a God of love and a God of wrath. He is all those things. Yeah? And the way his judgment and his mercy work are exactly as we see it here. This is how it works in God. He comes... There's going to be judgment on this people. He will do what he says he will do. Because we know he did that to Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't he? God doesn't, God doesn't play games. God doesn't just mess with words. God doesn't promise things and don't deliver. God says what he, what he says he will do, he will do. But you must understand that when God lets them off, it's not because he's changed his mind. Oh, oh. It's because part of his character is judgment, but there is another part of his character which is merciful. And that merciful means if you repent, he will always relent. Yeah? Now that is a truth that you can see right through scripture, right through to the New Testament, right through today. If you truly repent, God will always forgive you. If you truly repent, he will always forgive you. Always. He doesn't forgive you if like, oh, well, what if I do this or, you know, he will always forgive you. If you come as the Ninevites came, with that true sense in your heart of, oh, God, I'm sorry. I recognise that my ways in comparison are evil in comparison to your ways. So God even shows kindness to a city that is both evil and violent because they repented. Now I don't know what Jonah thought about Nineveh before. I don't know what the reputation of Nineveh was. You do know it, Nineveh comes up in the book of Nahum as well. And you do know it's, a, it's, it's always described as an evil, violent place. But it's also described as a great city. God describes it as a great city. But it has evil in it, and it has violence in it. And when I think of evil, violent places, 
I don't imagine the mercy of God. I don't think about it. I think, oh, God, you need to deal with those. You need to get to that place. But God is merciful and kind to all who would call upon him. And don't we know that? I mean, the Bible says it in the New Testament, all who call on the name of the Lord. Not if you call on the name of the Lord and you're from a certain kind of background or you have certain kind of behaviours or practices, then God will forgive you. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Bible says. And this is an example of that. The Ninevites would not have been people that we would have liked. Imagine if we lived in those days and some Ninevites joined our church. So they're the people, the reputation of the Ninevites is that they're evil, they're violent, they're wicked, they walk in and oh, this is a Ninevite to join the church. Have you seen them? Oh yeah, we'd have to put some things in place now to make sure we can look, look after them and make sure they're okay and I'll be praying, oh God, I need to talk to the Ninevites. Yeah, because we think about that. We, when it comes to groups of people, different types of people, we can have certain views about them. And then you realise, oh God doesn't have those views. God doesn't see them like we see them. We see threat and fear. God sees all our hearts. God, they're turning to me. Really, God? Really? His kindness and his compassion. And he saves the Ninevites as he will save you. So there are just some really simple lessons. So goes the city. So goes the individual. What do I mean by that? Just, we see in the story of Jonah and the city of Nineveh, we see sal the salvation process at work. God sends a prophet, forget all that happened with Jonah before, God sends a prophet, he preaches a message, the people hear the message, they believe the message, and as a result of it, they repent, and God forgives them. Yeah, that's the process. That's what we see in Nineveh. That's what God does for us individually yeah when you when you come to salvation uh, i mean it doesn't mean that there's always a moment but but god will send someone who there'll, there'll be some speaking into your life there'll be something that comes and speaks into your life about the truth of god and if you're like the ninevites you'll believe god yeah it's not even that they believed jonah they believed god that's what it says they believed god and as a result of believing god they were humbled and they repented unconditionally for the way they were living. And God forgave them. It may be that this morning you've never quite done that. And, and, I, and I, I really don't always think it needs a, a, like a moment. Sometimes people, you know, particularly when you grew up in faith, you can't always remember the moment that you truly gave yourself to Christ. And I can remember a number of occasions where I would say, oh yeah, I committed myself there. Oh, and I did it, oh, and I did it then. But there might be a moment where you need to go, oh, I believe God. I believe that God is very capable of this, maybe this judgment. And actually, if I want to avoid that judgment, I need to appeal to his mercy and his compassion. And how do I appeal to that? I appeal to that by humbly, uh, humbling myself and, and repenting. And it may be that you need to do that. You've never quite done that. And it may be that this morning you need to do that. It may be that you're already a Christian and you need to do that, not because you think, well, you know, I'm already saved, hallelujah. Uh, but there's always moments where you realise in your heart, like, like Jonah, yeah, I'm being disobedient. 
I'm not doing what I know God has told me to do. In fact, I'm, I've ignored what God has said and I'm doing my other things. I can justify them, but you know what? In my heart of hearts, I know. And maybe that you need to come to God and repent. So goes the city, goes the individual. Secondly, and maybe I'm speaking to me here, but I think to our lives as well, preach or do simply what God wants. You don't need to add to it. It's really easy to add to it. I mean, if somebody said, um, I mean, you know, you're going to go and preach a sermon. I don't want any more than eight words. I mean, and, uh, and, you're, you, and then see what God will do. I would go, hmm, okay, they want eight words. I think what they really mean is they want eight words as the final summary of what I'm going to say for the next hour. Yeah, those eight words will come at the end. I'd find it very hard if somebody said, no, just, just, just preach what God says. Just do what God says. Because that's what happened to Jonah, and we must imagine that for Jonah, there, there could have been a bit of fear, Nineveh, all the reputation. Sometimes God just wants you to do what he's asked, what he asked you to do. And we're the ones that embellish it. We're the ones that make it into something else. And God's request is often very simple often very simple but it's not always easy it takes faith sometimes you have to overcome fear sometimes you have to push into courage um, but all those things simply lead you to pray more <laughs> they simply lead, get you to your knees more just do what God wants you to do the preparation for Jonah's preaching in Nineveh was humbling he was humbled by what happened before he recognized and understood God in a way that he hadn't before and that's what prepared him to preach. It wasn't that he spent hours in commentaries. I'm not saying you shouldn't read commentaries, I read commentaries. It's not about spending hours in commentaries. It's about when you get to the word and you grapple with it, God speaks to you there. And he speaks to me more than he speaks to you, I promise you. Through this, God speaks to me more than he speaks to you. And then, other lesson, easy one. I say it's easy. True repentance will always lead to true forgiveness. <coughs> Now, it's easy to say that, but I just want to say this is different to having a problem that sometimes we can have with guilt. Some of us have a problem with guilt. We feel guilty. What have I done? I'm trying to work out. Why do I, why do I feel guilty? Lord, what's happened? I feel guilty about something. I don't know what I feel guilty about, but I feel guilty. Some of us have a problem with feeling guilty. Guilty feelings <coughs> is not the same as being guilty. And guilty feelings are not always dealt with through repentance. Oh Lord, I'm sorry if there's anything I haven't said sorry for. I want to say sorry now because I don't know why I'm feeling guilty, but clearly something must be amiss in me for me to be feeling guilty right now. Yeah? Guilt can come about, yes, because there's, there, there needs to be repentance, but I don't even think that's guilt. I think God tenderizes your conscience. And sometimes he'll cause you to go, ah, step back and go, something's not right here. And God will lead you through that and you will come out to some kind of resolution. That is not what I mean by feeling guilty. Feeling guilty is where you just continuously, you're just saying sorry, you don't know what you've done, you're not sure, you, you feel guilty about stuff, you're always apologising. That is not repentance. Yeah? That is not repentance. That might be just a lack of understanding that, oh, do you know what, God's accepted you. Yeah? God's accepted you. You're under grace. 
under grace doesn't mean you can run around and do what you like, but it does mean you can go, do you know what, I'm just accepted by God. God loves me. Yeah? God is not making me feel guilty. And in my guilt, I then go and do stuff to try and appease my guilt, but it never quite does that. Yeah? Guilt might be a, just this lack of understanding or a lack of acceptance. Guilt, let's be really honest, just might be, I just haven't grown up enough in God. I'm still a bit immature in, in Christ to recognise that guilty feelings is not, is not a matter of me looking around my life to find out is there something I need to repent for. Sometimes guilty feelings is a lot I don't understand. I don't yet fully appreciate what God has done for me, what that means for me, what I'm clothed in. I don't get that I'm in Christ, and when I'm in Christ, it means I'm not in something else. I need to remind myself of that. So sometimes when I get guilty feelings, I just need to remind myself, oh, no, I'm in Christ. I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. And then you just thank God for what you are, and then you'll find that the guilty feelings go. Yeah? It's very hard to be guilty when you recognise you're in Christ because when you recognise you're in Christ, you know it's nothing to do with you. It's not about your performance. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how clever you are or how holy you can be. Because you know what? I'm not very holy. I recognise I'm not very holy. If you saw me at home, you'd be mighty disappointed. If you've never been to my house, if you've never lived a week with me, if you lived a week with me, you'd go, do you know what? He's just not what you think. Yeah? Pauline has to do so much accepting. I just accept, yeah. Oh, he's sleeping. Oh, okay. He's not what you think. So true repentance will lead to true forgiveness, but there can be a problem with guilt. There can be a problem with guilt. And guilt is not because, oh, I haven't repented enough. Guilt is often a problem with, I don't understand. Oh, I haven't remembered. I'm in Christ. And even that alone will help you. That will get you out of guilt. I'm in Christ. And also we need to understand that true repentance is not cultural. Some cultures, a, a, apology, that's, that's the way they do it. It's like, oh, sorry, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. And sometimes I'm not saying sorry because I've done anything wrong. It's just, I'm just being polite. Just, sorry about that. Yeah? Don't take that kind of sorry into your relationship with God. Yeah? Please. Don't do that, because that's not how it works with God. Yeah? True repentance is humbling, and it brings about change in you. That's, that's what it does. That's how God works. And as I've said before, judgment and mercy. Judgment brings terror and stress. Yeah? The idea that you're under judgment should bring terror and stress. That's what it did for Nineveh. When you realise that actually outside of God, outside of Christ, I am under judgment, that should bring a level of anxiety to my life. It should. But mercy brings relief and peace. Yeah, you can realise that I'm under judgment, but hey, and I am, I'm guilty. Yeah, the Ninevites didn't argue it. We are guilty of what you've said, the charges you've made. We are guilty of them. So we appeal to your mercy. We've got a number of people here who work in the law, and I used to work in the law. I remember I used to go to court a lot. I was up at the Old Bailey for years and years and years. And you'd get situations where people were under judgment. They were charged with things, and they pleaded guilty. Oh, yeah, I'm guilty. What do you plead? I plead guilty. Yeah? Then their barrister would stand up, who's their mediator, and they'd say, Lord, 
This man is guilty of what has been done, but he doesn't use these words. Please show him mercy. And they'll come out with some reasons why, you know, he grew up in a difficult home or he, you know, he had a headache or whatever it is. The reasons would come out as to why this guy should be shown mercy. He doesn't need a, a custodial sentence, my lord. That, that won't help him. Read all the reports, my lord. Read the reports. No one says it, but they're pleading for mercy on behalf of this person. Mercy, and so he's sitting in the dock going, oh, thank you, Lord, I've got an eloquent barrister who can plead on my behalf. Mercy brings relief and peace. The level to which I have authority to judge is the same level to which I have authority to show mercy. So I've said that we can show mercy to one another and judge less, yeah, because we have that to a degree. When it comes to God, remember, he has the power of life and death. So God can judge you and he can end it. God can show mercy and he can bring you life. And that's what the cross was about. That's what the cross was about. God's judgment brought the death of his son. But because his son was without sin, he rose from the dead, he overcame death, and he was then able to show mercy to all who would look to him. So if you would look to Jesus, you can experience the mercy of God. Because it's all in him. If you look to yourself, there is no mercy when it comes to God. If you look to Jesus, oh, I'm going to find myself in Christ. There is mercy here. I come under his name. I'm not even going to pretend I can stand before God on my own. Because I can't. So we're just going to uh, end there and uh, I've got a question and it's, it's kind of sort of for us as individuals and then there's, there's all this stuff around what am I going to do with this stuff for me? What am I going to do in my life for me? How am I going to relate to God? That's what this is about. But there is this question. To whom has God called you to be a Jonah? Who is there out there in the world? Where's your Nineveh? Where are your Ninevites? Who are the people or the person or the situation that God has put you in to function like Jonah functioned? Is it your workplace? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Where is it? And then walk through Jonah and go, ah, oh, yeah, do you know what? Jonah didn't want to do what he, God had called him to do. So what's the thing that you're there you could do and you don't want to do? That might be a hint at your Jonah. What's the thing that you fear? That might be a hint at your Jonah. And yet you also know this, like Jonah, you know that God is gracious and compassionate. You know that. And you know that if people turn to him, he will forgive them. You know that. And yet there are people maybe in your world, in your life, that you think, oh, the world's such a bad place. Look at all these people. And then, and God saying, yeah, look at these people. I've sent you to them. I've sent you to them. Not just to walk alongside them. Not just to be a nice person to them. I've sent you to them with a message. Now, please, it doesn't mean you walk into your office on Monday, hands in pockets, and say, 40 more days. 
It doesn't mean that. But it does mean you might get on your knees, you and I, we might get on our knees and say, Father, where is it that I am to be that witness? Because when I'm in a witness in the place that he's called me to be, like Jonah was, I can be hugely fruitful, hugely fruitful. Jonah was, and he didn't do anything. He put his hands in his pockets, he walked through the town, and there was revival. God has called you to be Jonah somewhere, the bringer of his mercy and kindness to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have been with us. We thank you for the reminder of all those things about your character that we've sung about. We thank you for the wonder of the cross and that moment where we just shared communion and we remembered what you've done. And Father, we don't ever want to take that lightly. And we thank you for this account of Jonah, another example in your word of how you deal with people and how this shows us a little bit more about who you are and what you're like. And so, Father, I pray that um, whatever it is for us to move on, to develop, whether we need to repent, uh, whether we need to become like a Jonah, whether we need to revive an, uh, a, an old sense of desire that you put in our hearts, I don't know what it is, God, but I do pray that you would do it in us today. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.